0: Brush up your Shakespeare, start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare, and no women, you'll wow. Just to claim a few Hello, Shannon Riley here, inviting you to join me every Sunday here on KSEF as I talk Shakespeare on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday, every Sunday at 8 and 8. Archived here at Kansas 785 Live, as well as on my own website, shannonjriley.com. Join me and let's talk a little bit about the bar on KSEF, every Sunday, 8 to 8. You're listening to ksef additional broadcast in topeka brought to you by 785 magazine learn more at 785 live.com and now it's time for shannon shakespeare sunday with your host my daddy shannon riley Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday, right here on KSEF, better known as 75 Live. It's a great pleasure to be here with you today. I want to thank everybody at 75 for allowing me to come on the air every Sunday on the 8th to talk about the greatest playwright who ever lived, William Shakespeare. I am not a Shakespearean scholar. I am simply someone who loves the works of William Shakespeare. As my daughter said, my name is Shannon Riley, and I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about the show or would like to know something more about a topic i bring up please send me an email at shannon at shannonjreilly.com that's shannon at shannonjreilly.com Riley is spelled r-e-i-l-l-y i'd love to hear from you today we once again continue on our process of talking about all of william shakespeare's plays in order as they were written and today i gotta start with an apology because i I went out of order and i did not mean to i've gone out of order before because i want to keep the histories together But I I certainly did go out of order this time by completely forgetting to do this play. And it's a great play, I have no excuse for it. It's the play Othello. So today we're gonna go back and talk about Othello, a play that I accidentally skipped over. I'm very, very much a fan of this play. It's really powerful, well-written, and painful. The ending is incredibly painful. And I think it's one of the most tragic of all of Shakespeare's plays not only because of the loss of life in it but how completely innocent the lives that are lost are. And so I'm really excited to talk about this play and tell you a little bit about Othello and where it came from. Now first of all I said that we're going back in time we were already up to the Jacobean period but this play was almost certainly begun during the Elizabethan period and it could have been written as early as 1602 1603 certainly it's done by 1604 Elizabeth is dead by then, and it's become a Jacobean play, but he really was writing this for Elizabeth, and I'll explain why I think that's the case on the other side of the story. It was written in 1603 or 1604, as I said, and its source material is interesting. It's, it's from an Italian tale from Cynthia, and it was called Un Capitino Moro, or A Moorish Captain. It was from his Gil Thin book, which was published in 1565. And I really had to look up how to say that, so I'm not going to repeat it. In any case, uh, this was a book of a series of short plays or short stories that was written for the Italian audience. What's interesting is that it was not translated into English during Shakespeare's lifetime. It's possible Shakespeare came across the tale through a French translation that was done However, the French translation varied quite a bit from the original, and Shakespeare's tale follows more the original path. So it's kind of curious as to where Shakespeare really first heard this play. And then the other question is, why this play? Why does he pick up this story? It's not necessarily something that's really popular in the vernacular of the Elizabethan audience. It wasn't a tale that was constantly going around and going around, and yet Shakespeare picks this up and says, I'm making a play out of it. and I think there's a very, very personal reason why he picks this play to write about. If you're not familiar with Othello, the the full name is The Tragedy of Othello, the Moor of Venice. And the Moor of Venice is depicted as a black general, a man who is working and fighting alongside his Venetian counterparts and has grown in rank and power. And he marries a beautiful woman by the name of Desdemona. And by the end of the play, they are both dead. And it's because of the machinations of Iago, a man beneath him. Now, what's interesting about the original tale is that the only character that had a real name in the original tale was Desdemona. It's the same in the original tale as it is in Shakespeare's play. But the Moorish general is only referred to as the Moor. Uh, Iago is only referred to as the Ensign. And Iago's wife, Emilia, is only referred to as the Ensign's wife. The first record we have of Othello is from 1604 in the Revels' office, where it attributes the play to a playwright by the name of Shakespeare, spelled S-H-A-X-B-E-R-D. Shakespeare's name was never spelled the same way, and Elizabethans really didn't care about spelling. They only cared whether or not you picked up who that person was or what the meaning of the phrase was. So spelling was not a big deal. But by the time it was published, it had been performed numerous times, both at the Globe and at court. Although I have a feeling it was not so successful at court, which I'll talk about too on the other side. But it was included in the first folio that was pulled together by Hemings and Kant, and so it was definitely considered one of Shakespeare's genuine works that they wanted included in that book. Now, before I go any further, let's do a few quotes. There's some great quotes for Othello, not as many, but somebody asked me the other day, How do you decide on what quotes you're going to put into your podcast? And to tell you the truth, there are three criteria I use for my quotes. They are quotes that are either really poetic, really beautiful, or quotes that say something really, I think, profound. Or, in the case of Othello here, these are some quotes where a common phrase was developed and used that is still being used today. So allow me to let my boy introduce... And now, the Shakespeare Quote of the Week. That's right, the Shakespeare Quote of the Week. And there's a couple here that I really like. Iago says in Act 3, Scene 3, Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is a green-eyed monster that doth mock the meat it feeds on. Green-eyed monster. Iago also says in Act 1, Scene 1, But I will wear my heart upon my sleeve for Daws to peck at. I am not what I am. I love that. Wear your heart upon your sleeve. Two th- common phrases born out of a play written over 400 years ago. And here's a profound one for you. Men in rage strike those that wish them best. All right, so let's move to the synopsis of the story. If you're not familiar with this story, Before Othello Even Begins there's a character by the name of Rodrigo, who has been pursuing the beautiful woman Desdemona, a Venetian noblewoman, for years. And one night he hears through a soldier friend that Desdemona has secretly married the general, the Moorish Othello. Iago is one of Othello's ensigns. And Iago has a bone to pick with Othello. You see, Othello has promoted Michael Cassio to a high rank over Iago. And in Iago's feeling, overlooked for the lieutenant position. So. When Rodrigo starts to complain to Iago that Desdemona has married Othello, then Iago starts to push him and says to Rodrigo, you should do something about that. You know, you should go tell her father, he's a senator, by the name of Barbantio. You should go tell Barbantio that Desdemona has married Othello in secret against his will. So he does. He wakes up Barbantio and tells him. Barbantio is furious at the news and decides to go to Othello right away and have him arrested. He's certain that he has used some kind of witchcraft in order to gain his daughter. Barbantio arrives to find all of these army officials hanging out with Othello. He's been ordered to appear at the Senate along with Barbantio because there is a genuine threat. The Turks have decided to invade Cyprus and it's up to Othello and his men to turn this invasion back. But when they get to the Senate, immediately Barbantio raises his objection to Othello marrying his daughter, claims he used some kind of witchcraft. He says, no, she only saw me, she loved how I told great stories, and we became close that way. She loves me for who I am. And the Senate agrees with him. When Desdemona shows up and gives defense and tells her father, no, I'm sorry, I love this man with all my heart, her father immediately disowns her. So she goes on the campaign with Othello to go into battle against the Turks, and she plans to travel in the care of Lieutenant Cassio, and with Emilia, Iago's wife. And Iago, of course, is also going. So in Act Two, we get to Cyprus. And there, Montano, the governor of Cyprus, and his soldiers greet Cassio, Iago, Desdemona, and Emilia as they get off their ship. Othello soon learns that a horrible storm at sea has dispersed this Turkish fleet, and they will not have to battle after all. The fleet is destroyed. So immediately, Othello orders a night of great celebration and he decides now is the time he can celebrate his marriage to Desdemona. Rodrigo is still desperate to get a hold of Desdemona for himself, and Iago assures him that there is still hope that he can do it. Iago urges Rodrigo to show his courage and strength by challenging Cassio to a duel that very night. Iago claims that Desdemona will fall in love with him when he sees his prowess. And at that same time, Iago goes and gets Cassio drunk, starts to get him incited into fighting with Rodrigo. Cassio and Rodrigo meet and they begin to fight. It's an ugly brawl. Montano, the governor, is accidentally stabbed during the attack int- in order to contain Cassio. Othello shows up, angered at the fight, blames Cassio, and immediately strips him of his status as a lieutenant in his army. In Act 3 the next day, Iago convinces Cassio to ask Desdemona for help to get his rank back. He says certainly that Desdemona has power over Othello. She can certainly get him to reinstate Cassio, and Cassio agrees to try. Meanwhile, Iago goes to Othello and says, You know, you should be watching out for Cassio. He's getting uncomfortably close with your wife. As a matter of fact, I think they might be fooling around. Now, Othello had given his wife a gift. It was a hand-embroidered handkerchief. It was the very first gift he ever had given her. And this handkerchief, this embroidered with strawberries, very fine needlework, It's fallen on the ground and Desdemona has lost it. Emilia, Iago's wife, has found it and Iago then says, give me that handkerchief. He takes it and puts it where Cassio is certain to find it. When Desdemona urges her husband to reconsider Cassio, Othello gets jealous and suspects, oh, it is Cassio, who might indeed be the man who is betting my wife. In act four, Iago continues to inflame this jealousy even when he's pretending to try to tap it down. And he encourages Othello to listen in on a conversation. He'll start with Cassio. So he goes to meet with Cassio, with Othello hiding and listening in. But he asks Cassio about how things are going with his mistress, Bianca. But he says Bianca so quietly, Othello cannot hear the name. And he thinks they're obviously talking about Desdemona. And when Cassio starts to brag about obtaining this embroidered handkerchief from her, immediately Othello is agitated, certain that his wife has been unfaithful, and it causes him to have an epileptic fit. He starts to have these fits in the play, these um, moments of off-balanceness, and it can't be described as anything but epileptic to us. Now after he recovers, he orders Iago, go kill Cassio, and Desdemona I will take care of. Desdemona, in the meantime, can't understand why Othello has turned so dark to her as of late, and he's even struck her in the presence of her relative, who has arrived from Venice. In Act 5, Rodrigo has began to suspect Iago is not being the friend as he seems to be. Still, Iago again provokes him to attack Cassio that night, and again in an attempt to win Desdemona's hand. In the fight that comes up, Iago goes in secret, in hiding, and wounds Cassio. And then he enters again in a crowd and pretends he was never there in the first place. And Juanrigo is angry and wants to blame Iago for everything. So Iago immediately kills him and says he did it in an act of defense and to punish him for wounding Cassio. Othello, meanwhile, goes to his sleeping wife's bedroom to murder her, to punish her for what she has done for her adultery. He smothers her with a pillow, even as she asserts her innocence. Now, Emilia alerts the entire household causing Iago and others to run to the scene. Othello defends himself, mentioning the handkerchief as evidence. It's then that Emilia realizes what has happened, and that her husband had set this whole thing up. She portrays Iago's plot, immediately denounces him, and tells tells everyone that it was him who was responsible. Othello flies into a rage. Iago, immediately angry at his wife, kills her. Iago is then arrested, but before he can be sent to trial, Othello wounds him, though he does not die. Othello says, I'd rather you live in pain for what you've done than to die a death and be free of it. Othello then turns to his men and in front of everybody, he pulls out a hidden weapon and says, now I kill the brute that killed my wife. And he stabs himself, committing suicide. And that's how our play ends. All right, we're going to talk about it on the other side. And there's some very interesting stuff to discuss. So I'll see you on the other side be back in just a moment right here is where i would say now for a brief word from our sponsors but i'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth so for advertising opportunities go to 785 live.com Hello, hello and welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF Digital Radio 785 Live. I'm Shannon Riley and today we are talking about the Shakespeare's play Othello. And I'm going to be talking about this play about two very central questions that almost seem silly to even talk about, but these are questions that have been plaguing this play since it was first written. First of all, why was it written? Why would Shakespeare suddenly write a play about an interracial relationship and domestic abuse and jealousy in the middle of the Elizabethan period? Very often it's asked the question, and it's a weird question to ask to contemporary audiences, and that is, was Othello really black? Now, I know what you're saying. Of course, he was. The character was always played as a black man, unfortunately, for many years, played by white men in blackface. However, here's the deal to Shakespeare and to the Elizabethans who were very white people that had very little interaction with people who would have been of color. Very, very little. And the idea that any Elizabethan would run into somebody of color is kind of silly, even Shakespeare. So when he refers to him as being black, did he really mean black? I mean, the English are pretty white people. Could he have been talking about somebody who was maybe olive skinned, a little bit darker than the average white person? Maybe someone from Italy or someone closer to the Mediterranean. We don't really know, except he calls him a Moor. And the Moors are definitely in Africa. The other thing is, his interaction with people of other races might be greater than you think. And it all relates to a celebrity. Now, keep in mind, too, that this play takes place before the transatlantic slave trade, meaning Elizabethans weren't even dealing with the idea of people of color being commodities. The central focus here in this play is jealousy and reputation, not race. Iago doesn't hate Othello because he's black. He hates him because you overlook him for a promotion. Now he does use race a couple of times in lines, particularly to Rodrigo, as he's trying to encourage Rodrigo to continue to go after Desdemona's hand. In marriage, he says a black ram is mounting a white ewe that's obviously used to stir up some negative racist ideas in Rodrigo's mind, but it's really not the central topic of the play. Othello is a hero at the top of the play. He is considered to be a general of great cause and great strength and reputation there is absolutely no one putting him down. There is just Iago who is angry at him for being overlooked in promotion, and he sets about to destroy his life. If race isn't an issue, why, then, is Othello written as a Moor? Now, he wasn't in the original story, so let's argue that. That Shakespeare is simply picking up the original story and bringing it to life for his play. But why now? Why in 1602-1603, is it so important to write this play. And I'll tell you why. It was celebrity. Great celebrity. You see, Elizabeth was a smart queen. Unlike King James, who comes behind her, Elizabeth Had a far reaching plan. She wanted England to dominate the world, and to do that, she had to open up trade routes all over the world, and she had set her eyes on Morocco. She believed if she could get into the African state, she could spread the English flag even further and continue to dominate the world as she does dominate Europe at that time. To do that, she invites an ambassador. An ambassador comes from roughly modern day Morocco, an ambassador from the king of Barbary. Now, I'm going to mispronounce his name, so I'm going to use a shortened version that I came across because it's a very long name and I don't want to insult anybody. But this ambassador, his name is Abd-Anon, and he arrives in England with his entire entourage. They were most definitely all of them people of color. We know this because he posed for portraits and he was an immediate celebrity. People loved him. They found him fascinating. They found him unique. They found him engaging. He, operas would perform for him. Plays would perform for him. They had dances, they had balls. And he was in England, in London for six months with his entourage. They were the toast of London. So there was a great deal of celebrity surrounding this man. And there were so many people who wanted to know everything about the Moors. This is why I think Shakespeare goes after this play. He finds this story, whether in a French version or someone who can read Italian, read it to him. And he was able to develop his idea for this play, Othello. He writes his play or begins writing this play in 1602, 1603 in an attempt to capitalize on the celebrity of these visiting dignitaries and how much the English people, the people of London, were amazed by them. This would be the first Muslim these people had probably ever seen. And so it was a unique and wonderful opportunity for Shakespeare to capitalize on the celebrity of the moment and writing something in the vein of that celebrity. But he changes a few things. One of the things he changes is that Othello himself has converted to Christianity. In Shakespeare's time, there was no word for Muslim, by the way. They would have referred to them as Turks. And as this common phrase of the time was, all Moors were Turks, even though not all Turks were Moors. So, Turk was a wide phrase used to explain anybody of the Muslim faith. And so, the tragedy of Othello, the Moor of Venice, definitely implied that he was Muslim at least at one time, but there are lines within the play that shows that he has converted from his old religion. This is done for a very important reason, and that is piracy. So even though most of white Britain would never have seen people of color at all, they knew of them, and they knew of them through sailors, and they knew of sailors who had traveled in that area of the world who were boarded by pirates. Now here's the thing, if you were sacked by pirates, there was a lot of things that could happen to you. First of all, everything in your ship would be taken, period. Your ship would probably be burned or sunk to the ground. And then you yourself would be taken in as a slave. You would either be ransomed, and if no ransom could be reached, you became a slave. Now. If they were sold into slavery, they had a chance to get out of slavery by converting to Muslim. If they converted to Muslim, they were released as a slave. So, a lot of English sailors did just that. They converted to the Muslim faith. They were even granted wives and property until they could escape, and they'd return to England and tell their story and immediately convert back to Christianity. This was a common fear of the sailors of the time, and it was a practice of that genuinely happened and it caused a common phrase to come up called turning Turk. This is the process you were referred to when you were offered your freedom if you converted to Islam. You turned Turk or turning Turk as it were. Othello even uses the anxiety of this whole idea of turning Turk And we hear him use the phrase in Othello. He comes upon the fight where Cassio is fighting with Rodrigo, breaks them up, and he says to them, Are we turned Turks, and to ourselves do that, which heaven hath forbid the Ottomites? He immediately uses the same phrase. Shakespeare is definitely talking about the period in which he lives and the period of this visiting dignitary. It should be noted here that Shakespeare himself was constantly writing at this period about what it means to be a man, what it means to be English, what it means to have identity. And the identity here is thoroughly confusing. Othello starts the play as this man who is well-mannered, respected, a man of absolute strength and a pillar in his community, who... As he learns more and more about the possible infidelity of his wife, he grows madder and madder. His language becomes shorter and shorter. Using smaller words, he falls apart and even has epileptic seizures. And as to that question of whether or not Shakespeare intended him to truly be black or not, you got to look at a couple of words that Shakespeare uses in here. Some phrases that very much hint at the idea that Shakespeare intended this character to indeed be a black man. Desdemona's father, Brabantio, says in the very early part of the play when he finds out that Desdemona has married him, ...that he accuses Othello for using witchcraft to have her. He says, damned as thou art, thou hast enchanted her... ...to thy sooty bosom as such a thing as thou. Sooty is a reference to Othello's skin color. It can only be a reference to Othello's skin color. And later, Iago does claim that the black skin is a sign of the devil... And capable of witchcraft, and he says that Demona's reputation is as black as bitch. Othello himself uses the word black to describe himself. Twice. He questions whether or not Desdemona's trade for him and is responsible for infidelity, and did it because I am black, and I have not soft parts of conversation that chamberers have. He says, I am black. Later, when he's convinced that she's cheated on him, he says, her name that was as fresh as Diane's visage is now begrimmed and black as mine own face. Black as mine own face. <laughs> there is no doubt what Shakespeare intended here. He intended this to be a black man. This is also a time in Shakespeare's writing. Keep in mind, he has he finished Hamlet. He has finished Lear. And these are both filled with stories of characters. Who are trying to understand who they are, what they are meant to be, what they are expected to be. And it's difficult for Othello, who finds himself in a world surrounded by people unlike himself, and yet he feels his sanity slipping away much like Hamlet does. He questions who he should be and how he should act upon this horrible thing. There's a great reference that, that was made at this time between Catholics and Protestantism. In, in Catholicism, you could go to Mass, you could convince your sins, and walk out clean. But Protestants always had to doubt their intentions. They always had to wonder if I said the right thing or if I did things for the right reasons. In this very case here, this is what is happening to Othello. And outwardly Word manifestations of people made a difference to the English, and it made a difference to Shakespeare. He played it. If Richard III had not had a hump, would he have been kind, or would he have still been a villain? It's a very fair question to Shakespeare. The things that were badly acted came upon you in physical manifestation. But there's a side to this story that I want to point at Iago. Iago's a nasty piece of work. There's no doubt about it. If Iago had married Lady Macbeth, (laughs) they would have ruled the world. And it would have been a horrible world to live in. But Iago here is not twisted. Not somehow misconfigured. He is evil incarnate, and he is a beautiful face of that evil. He is able to seduce his way into both Othello's ear and Rodrigo's ear. He keeps these people at bay, keeps everybody guessing what his final plan is, and in the end, he gets away with it. He is stabbed, yes, but he doesn't die. And he says he will go on living and will be mum for the rest of his life. He will never speak of this again. We don't know if he goes to prison for what he did or not. Doesn't matter to Shakespeare. What matters is the death of Othello and Desdemona and the great innocence that is lost there. First, on Desdemona, she did nothing wrong. She felt nothing but love for her husband. And, of course, there is Othello himself, an honorable, decent man, who was driven mad by the idea that his wife had been unfaithful. He had seen evidence that was irrefutable. And yet, he learns later that he was wrong and he acted impetuously, and he takes his own life. This is a great tragedy, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not seen Othello, or not read it, go watch it. There's a lot of great versions out there. But please, go watch it with an African-American or a person of color playing the role of Othello. <laughs> there are so many wonderful versions, but that I just can't get past the blackface that some people wore to do it. Great stars. There's also a very unique version that was done with Patrick Stewart, where he plays Othello, but he's white, and the rest of the cast is African-American. I haven't seen that version, and I don't know how I feel about it. But I do think that this is an amazing, amazing play, and you've got to experience it. All right, that's my very quick look at Othello on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. Next week, we jump ahead again to catch back up with Antony and Cleopatra. I look forward to sharing that with you, and we'll see you next Sunday on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. And until that time, keep it barred to the bone. Bye-bye.